0: Following the message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. You know, he's so good to faithfully answer the prayers that we ask of him. He is, he's attentive, he's listening um, I, I want to add a few announcements so we can just dive right into our text this morning. Um, our, our brother Bill's homecoming, uh, Bill Hager's homecoming, will be on Wednesday at 3 o'clock at the VA, uh, so um, the family would love for anybody that's able to attend, so plan to to be there if you can. Uh, that would be a, a celebration. also want to mention that uh, Joe uh, Davis um, has... Uh, maybe just for the next day or so, is at Palms of Pasadena. He had a few falls last week and uh, found out that he has a UTI and uh, and he's slightly dehydrated. So if you could keep him and Miss Esther in prayer, that would be fantastic. I asked Kenny and Teresa what we could do for the family, and they said prayer is the greatest gift you give. Um, but if uh, if you want to, they eat like birds. So they, he said, uh, if you could bring a, a couple small meals next week when Dad's home, that would be uh, a treasure to our family. So if if you're interested in, in either of those opportunities uh, and, and want any further details, please uh, please check check with me on that. Okay. Um, also, want to highlight one more thing is that the, in two weeks from tonight, um, we're going to be doing our second uh, gathering uh, around the Chosen series. Uh, it is a, a full dinner at 6 o'clock. I'm so thankful for Jen and her team that, that do this joyfully, uh, serve with their gifts. Um, but it's so, so, so helpful that you are SVP so we know how many people are coming. We just we had just shy of forty folks that came last time, and uh, and had a, a wonderful evening together, a wonderful meal, wonderful meal, and uh, and then shared in the first episode of the uh, of the chosen. Uh, if you weren't able to join us for that night, uh, just jump online, watch that first episode, and then come in, and join in our our journey through this. Uh, through this wonderful series, it's uh, it's really thought provoking, and the dialogue and the conversations and questions that happen afterwards are so refreshing and so uh, enriching. So please come out and be a part of that. That's uh, two weeks from tonight at six o'clock, and please RSVP. So one of the things that uh, I don't know if you heard this, but you know, as I, I love when we're singing to the Lord and just declaring our. Uh, our heart of praise and thanksgiving and and allowing these lyrics to become authentic expressions of faith and worship and praise. Um, But this morning's song set just really stirred in me. Um, Just, you know, perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. Like, look, God, the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. I don't hear humanity in that. But there are, it says, many that are following that wide road that leads to destruction, that are following the prince of this air, the ruler of this, of this age, right into that lake, right? Because they, they're, they they're choosing in unbelief to reject the love of God, the grace of Christ, the cross, as being the, 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 the great bridge, the, the door, the gate back to this incredible relationship with the living God. And here the thing is God doesn't hate man. <laughs> He'd be hating his own image, right? He's fallen for sure, but but like he hates sin. He hates it. He hates what it does. I believe that's why Jesus wept in John 11 at, in the at uh, at Joseph at Lazarus's tomb because he, he, the, the 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 wages of sin is like that that word means separation from life himself. That's the real understanding there. But God so loves the world. And that's not talking about the globe or, or, or it's talking about people, right? And to the point that he desires that none should perish, but that all might come to repentance and experience the grace and the mercy of God in eternal life, right? So what keeps us from um, like what what i want you to understand is is that is god is will pour out his wrath on sin he hates sin and when sin is is the identity of our life then we experience it says the wrath of god is being revealed romans 1 against all unrighteousness but this is what i want you to hear this morning this is the good news guys is when god in christ jesus through the cross by the grace and mercy of God, when he, not because of any, listen, we were never, ever going to be worthy of Christ's sacrifice. There was, there's no merit in any human being that would ever say, well, you know, that's not the criteria. It's simply the love of God. And 1 Peter tells us, man, that, uh, that, that, that perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you afraid of dying? Hold on to the promises of God. This is what this passage is talking about. It's saying, if we're perfected in love, that we have no fear of punishment. God is punishing sin. If your sin has been quenched, paid for, totally paid in full, then what do you have to be afraid of? There's no punishment for the saint, right? That should lead us to our knees in worship and thanksgiving and praise. That should lead us to be grace givers and mercy mercy givers to others and, and be oh, so overwhelmed with the love of God that by no merit of our own, nothing that we could boast about, but simply by the grace of God through our faith in Jesus Christ, our sins like the wrath that, that God does bring upon sin, Jesus drank that cup of wrath willingly, totally, and completely for you because God so loved the world. Hello? Isn't that awesome? That's amazing grace. That's awesome love that God would do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Never do for ourselves. No amount of good works would ever get us in, 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 in a pleased posture with our holy, holy, holy God. We could never be righteous. So what, what, what was required? He must give us this righteousness. And as it says in Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed God and it was credited. It was imputed. It was, it was given to him this right. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of the gift of God, of Christ Jesus. And so, like, what do we have to boast in? Do you know that we're told the only thing we boast in is the cross, Christ himself. That's our boast. That's our celebration. That's our praise. That's what we're just infinitely and forever thankful for. Because God is relentless in his pursuit of his image, of his people, of his kids, Right? He's relentless, but he's also at the same time, that wrath that he has for sin, he poured all of it out on his son. And it was, it was due us. Wow. Like he, he, like he orchestrated all of that. Like, is that crazy? Like he orchestrated that. And Jesus surrendered to it. Oh, take this. Okay, not my will, Father. Let's do yours. And then he was all in. And he went through it. He he suffered the pain, the agony, the the death, the all of it. Knowing that this this is what sin deserves. This is what my sin deserves. So how could we ever sin again? Right? Like... Listen, first, John tells us, right? First John tells us, like, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. Like, look, we, we sin, but that's never our intention. That's never our heart. We never treat it as a license because we betray the love that's been given, the sacrifice that's been made. Like, it, it, it makes no sense. True worship is not a song. It, that's a part of it. But the, but the true worship is, is how we live in light of what Christ has done for us. All right, we're going to get in the text now. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace. We are enamored by your love. We're so thankful that we will never face the punishment of sin because Jesus faced it for us. And we are forever grateful for this glorious act of mercy and grace on your behalf. We are never, help us never to feel entitled to any of it but to realize that it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of grace that is unmerited on our part and that we are humbled, humbled by your sacrifice, Lord Jesus. We'd never have a shot at the presence of the Father. And now we're told that we can boldly and, 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 uh, and intimately enter into this throne room filled with grace. And we can make petition of a father. Father that wants to give us more than we can ask or imagine. Lord, thank you for loving us when we didn't love you. And now help us to love you because you so love us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's, uh, let's continue in our journey through the gospel of Luke. Uh, if you have, I shouldn't say if, because you have your Bibles, take them out. If you don't, there are ones uh, under the seats in front of you. Please make that our gift to you or I'll give you a brand new one. But you need to, to be in God's word. This is, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. We've, we've got to let the word of God speak the truth of God to these hearts that are so fickle, right? That, that we were desperate for, for the work of the Holy Spirit to write his word on our heart so that our, our, our thinking, you know, our minds are set on the truth of God's word right? Set our minds on things above, not on earthly things, right? Where Christ is seated at the right hand of the father, our advocate, our mediator. Wow. Like this is, this is our mindset. This is, this is the way we, you know, in second, 1 first Corinthians two, it says, we have the mind of Christ. How did that come to us? Through the Holy Spirit. We've been given the mind of Christ. Are we, are we submitting to that? are we are, are we Are we letting that be our thinking? Are we taking every thought captive so we 're now in chapter seven we 're on the we're, this is after the sermon on the plain. This is a, a sermon that was preached just outside of Capernaum and uh, and now Jesus has finished preaching on "Love your enemies and pray for those that, uh, that abuse you and and don 't don't you know? Don't condemn and judge others, but forgive and give. This is this is the, the new kingdom, um, uh, not not philosophy, DNA culture, right? Like it's got to quit being a philosophy and start being our our culture, right? Like this is this is this is where our faith takes form is when we live what we know to be true, and we do, right or wrong, we live what we believe and uh, And it 's time to let god 's word be the 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 firm conviction of our life. Does that make sense? And so here we uh go into chapter seven and and man, can you it 's not surprising that right away Jesus walks into this metropolis of galilee and and he is bombarded with need uh, with opportunity right and uh, and he is surprised, marveled. At a, at a Gentile that exhibits a, a, a type of faith in him that he's not seen in all of Israel. All right, so follow with me as we read through the text here this morning. There's so much to glean here. So can I ask you to, oh, just to in your own heart, to ask God to just seed your heart and mind with this truth, like be ready to embrace it. Like to treasure it and to realize the the, the gift that it is. Uh, I like what Buck does. Let's stand. Let's read this together on our on our on our feet because we we want to uh, we want to stand in awe of God's word and its potential and power. And so here we are in Luke chapter seven, verses one to ten, and it says this: After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him for he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, speaking of Jesus, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go. And he goes. And I say to another one, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. He does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith and when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Lord, would you add to our, our reading the understanding of your word? Have a seat. Let's dive in. So, you know, I, I'm compelled to read um, yet again Luke 1, um, verse 1 through 4, because we need to remember that who's the author of, of this gospel? That was a tough one, wasn't it? That was really, yeah. Everybody's like, well, that was a tough one. So Luke, and and what other books did Luke author? Acts, right? It's almost, it's referred to sometimes as Luke 2. It's a, it's a continuation. Acts of the Apostles, I think better described, Acts of the Holy Spirit, you know. Um, and and uh, who's the audience of this particular letter? Theophilus, right? Um, most excellent Theophilus. So this is a guy that, you know, you don't speak, you don't say that to someone unless, uh, especially from a Greek perspective or f- from a Gentile perspective, uh, without showing great, great honor. This is an emperor. This is a, there was a, there was an emperor named Theophilus in, uh, 829 to 846, but this is not that guy, of course. Um, Theophilus means friend of God, by the way, friend of God, and, um, And this was, despite what some theologians might say, this was a real person, okay? This wasn't a hypothetical figure. This was an individual that Luke went to painstaking efforts to confirm his faith by by giving him an orderly account of the things that have happened, right? But this is written to a Gentile audience. And in God's sovereignty, as here we see, Luke writing with great passion and desire and and a ton of effort, he is you know going to eyewitnesses, speaking to Mary herself and, and the disciples, and and being on journey with Paul through his second and third missionary journey, uh, going with him to Jerusalem and then to Rome, being a part of his prison time. I mean this 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 gentleman, this this physician, this doctor which we get so much benefit from the background of him being a physician when, it's, when he speaks of healings and those things. He is a Gentile, and he's writing to this most excellent Theophilus. Let me back us up to the introduction here of this, this, this amazing gospel, and it says this in verse 1 through 4. It says, Many have undertaken, that's interesting, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, speaking of Jesus' life, ministry, sacrifice, resurrection, just as they were handed down to us by those from whom, from the first who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, speaking of the apostles and the followers of Christ. Therefore, since I myself have certainty, um, have carefully, excuse me, in, investigated everything from the beginning, it seems good to me to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. So this this is his audience. This is his, I mean, like it's personal for Luke. There's there's an individual whose faith is at stake, whose whose, uh, encouragement is is necessary, and he is going to this length in order to write an orderly account to, to share the, the, accurate, the accuracy of Christ's heart and ministry. Isn't that challenging to us, who sometimes have a hard time going next door to do that, or across the street, or with the waitress? That when we look at all that Luke went through in order to give this. And he thought, you know, he, I don't think he could have in a million years thought that 2,000 years later, we'd be in an auditorium in a land that was not yet, discuss, you know, talking about all of this. But th- this event was about a Roman soldier's astonishing faith in Christ from Christ's perspective. And this is a dominant and repetitive theme throughout the writings of of Luke, both in Acts and in the gospel. Gentiles are included in the family of faith. This is the good news. This is one of the main reasons for the writing, um, and specifically uh, to Theophilus, a Gentile convert to Christianity, someone of great um, military or political status. Um, but that the ministry of Christ was extended to Gentiles, and that's why in the Gospel of, of Luke we see often accounts that were um, that were reaching out, uh, that that were overcoming prejudice, like the Good Samaritan, right? Or were were uh, where the the Gentile mother shows faith in Christ uh, as uh, as as he heals the daughter. You know, um, you know, we see these. Okay, we see in the gospel, uh, the gospels that Jesus, in his own hometown, uh, had marvelled in a different way, because of their lack of faith. And what we find is, to the contrast of what we see here, rather than there being a miraculous healing, there is none. And he attributes that because they don't believe him; they see him simply as Mary's little boy and not the God-man that he is. We'll talk about that. Jesus discounts no one, right? You know, here, he's willing to go to the house of a Gentile. Now, if, you, if you've if you read further into the book of Acts in, in chapter 10, you know how the Jewish people feel about uh, some of their rules and regulations about going into a Gentile's home. There is massive prejudice, hatred, I would say, Towards them. And Peter comes back from an experience with Cornelius, which, by the way, is another centurion in Luke's writings. Um, and, and by the way, has uh has is a God fearer who gives alms to the poor, whose prayers are lifted up, uh, we find out several times a day, and heaven itself says are answered because of his faith. And so When Peter gets back from this encounter, which really is the Gentile Pentecost, um, they, they are in his face upset with Peter because we heard you went into a Gentile's house. Do you think for a moment that when this whole thing is unfolding, do you think for the moment the disciples are going, we're going where? To whose house? Like, you're going to do this? Like, and do you think for a moment that Peter might have looked back or thought back or the Spirit would have brought back to a to reminder when he was asked through a vision in Joppa, when he was tired at noon, praying, waiting on lunch? Do you think for just a moment that in that moment when he is confirmed to and told not to call anything unclean that I have made clean, this is the, what God was about to do in the Gentile nation, is that? Oh yeah, I remember when Jesus did, was willing to do this. He, Jesus, is an example to us in everything. Everything. We only, you know, I know it was a, it was a armband and a kind of a mantra in the eighties, nineties. Uh, you know, what would Jesus do? But man, is that not? Is is he not the one that we follow? You know the spirit's not going to contradict the things that Jesus did. Oftentimes we don't understand, but then as we walk in them there, there's a, there's a fellowship that happens. There's an understanding that's given as we just seek to do it his way rather than ours. So Jesus discounts, no one, the Gentiles that were hated. In fact, both parties would call each other dogs. Um, I don't think this was as drastic a connotation as it is today, but it, surely had something to say. He has called us as believers also to declare the gospel to everyone, from people uh, of, of distant countries and villages to that irritating neighbor next door. We are called to go outside of our own prejudice and barriers and dispositions and paradigms that are broken to reach people that are broken and in need of the hope and grace of God. So let's look at verse one. It says, after he being Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. We'll take a look at this map so that we understand a little bit about Capernaum. Capernaum's in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Um, It's just to the west of Bethsaida where uh, a lot of these fishermen, Peter, Andrew, those guys were born or grew up. But now this is hometown for them because this is this is the largest city in Galilee. This is the metropolis of Galilee. This is the trade route of Galilee. This is where a lot of this is where Zebedee and James and John and Peter and Andrew had their their fishing careers. Um, so here there's um, it's it's interesting too. Don't know if you know this, but like this was not um, like Jerusalem. Um, until A.D. 44, when King Agrippa was dethroned, um, this, was, this was not under Roman occupation yet, okay, in this time. So we don't see the cantankerous relationships between these Jewish elders and uh, the Roman oppressor, uh, so, so to speak. And it, isn't it interesting that it's Luke's gospel that kind of just kind of shows that there is some, there is some heartwarming relationships between a, a centurion. Right, and uh, and a Roman, right, or a, a or a Jew, or a leader of the Jews. Um, so this was a this was a hub. This was a wealthy area. This was a place where all of the heathenistic, paganistic gods were expressed and realized. And so this was a, an excellent place for for Jesus to experience support from his you know, from the community as far as his disciples, but also it was a place where the gospel could go forth because it was a trade route. Does that make sense? And so that, that's kind of the area where we're, we're talking about as far as Jesus coming back to Capernaum. Um, it was a fishing community. Uh, like I said, it, was, uh, uh, it also housed a, uh, a contingent of Roman soldiers. Um, as many of you know, uh, if someone is a centurion, how many men do they have under their charge? A hundred, right? And so this this was often an office that was given to a senator's son. This was kind of a uh, an office that was given to educated, uh, very uh, upstanding, moral, uh, high integrity type guys. But it was a it was it was an entry level position for those those folks. And uh, but you know, especially in the Gospels uh, or, or Luke's books, we see these these men having. Um, I'll give you an example uh, later on at the cross. There was a centurion that was in charge of the cross, right? That whole experience. He was the one to to see that thing through. And uh, what did he say at three o'clock that that dark Friday afternoon? Surely this man is the, not a, son of God. Another statement he makes is, this man was innocent. Like those are the two statements we hear from the the Centurion and 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 you want to know how much respect Pilate had for that Centurion anyway, he did not believe that Jesus was dead until he heard it from his mouth and so here 's a guy that understands authority, he understands how authority works, and so what he does he because of his his position, he is able to. Um, relate to Jesus in his authority. And Jesus affirms him for that that understanding that is accurate and says that many in Israel don't share your faith. And that's interesting. So verse 2 goes on to say, Now uh, a centurion, which we've just spoken about, had a servant who was sick and at the point of death. Well, if we go to the, the Matthew account, which is way more concise, um, and from a, a, a Jewish perspective, we find out that he was paralyzed and in terrible pain in verse six. So here's a servant. Uh, we you know, many speculate. I've read commentary on both being a boy, a man, a woman. That's not given to us. Let's not speculate. But what we do know is that he is. Val- they are valued by this centurion. So what does that tell us about this centurion? This is is a man of great compassion. We're going to find out this is a man of great humility. But more importantly, we're going to find out that this is a man of marvelous faith. And so it says that he had a, a servant that was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. Now I have a question for you and I really want you to think about these. I've got several questions for you this morning. Who are you going to for Jesus? Uh, Excuse me, who are you going to Jesus for? Who are you going to Jesus for? This centurion loved and valued his servant, right? And he did whatever it took, crossed national relational lines significant lines in order to to see the the work of Jesus realized in his loved ones life or at least at the very least someone that was highly valued so the question is this who are you going to Jesus for does does your prayer life include uh, a plead, uh, 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 an earnest beckoning of God on behalf of those that are not just physically ill, sick or dying, but those that are more importantly, spiritually sick or dying. And are you making that plead? Are you making that, that, that pursuit of Jesus on their behalf? Acknowledging that he alone can heal them, remembering that eternal life and death are at stake. Another question, who is highly valued to you? See, someone who is spiritually sick and dead in their trespasses and sin, do you know of folks in that circumstance? And are you, are you, reaching out to Jesus on their behalf. That's what I see being done here. The ultimate expression of compassion and care. And don't miss this. I I had to kind of, uh, as I wrote this, I had to make it more and more concise. So this this is right from my heart. The sad thing is that when people or loved ones are physically sick, they are desperate and willing to accept help. But many are dead and sick in their sins and unaware of their desperation and need and the consequences to come. This is where the body of Christ is called to speak and serve, knowing the gift of grace and the hope of Christ. Does that make sense? That there are people that are, that are on the wide road that leads to destruction. They're, they're rejecting the love of God. They don't even know how Sick and separated they are, and so they're not even in a desperate posture. We put so much stock in the physical and and the spiritual is the the solution to the healing that we're so desperate for. Our faith in Christ. And are you going to your knees? Are you are you reaching out to Jesus as this man did for his servant? willing to do whatever it takes in order to see his healing come knowing that Christ is the is the answer the hope and that he has the the power and the authority to do it confident in his in his care in his love look at verse 3 when the centurion heard about Jesus i i emphasize that because that's that's all that's all he has at this point he's just simply heard about Jesus He's not witnessed a teaching, he's not he's not experienced a a miracle, he's he's heard about him. He sent to him being Jesus, elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. Thought. When others don't know Jesus, they will reach out to those they perceive do know him and ask that we ask him being Jesus on their behalf. Has this ever happened to you? Do you have a relationship with others that don't know him or may have simply heard about Jesus? Question number one. Do you have relationships with these folks? Are you in, in places, right? Do you think Jesus welcomed this encounter? Do you think this was the Father's will? Are we in places intentionally so that someone that doesn't know him but believes that you do might come to you that you might petition on their behalf for the needs and requests that are precious to them? Are you asking people in your life, in your circumstances, in your endeavors, are you asking people, how can I pray for you? Already declaring that I talk to him and I know him and he loves you and he has great plans for your life and he wants great things for you and he's he's wanting to, by his stripes, bring healing into your life. The other question I want to ask is, first, do you have relationships with others that don't know him or may have a have simply heard about Jesus? And secondly, do they know that you know him? Do you know what I mean? Do they know? Does your neighborhood know that you know Jesus? So that not if, but when the storm comes, they can knock on your door. They can text you and say, hey, would you pray for does that happen in your neighborhood? I mean, are, are you a are you a place I love at men's breakfast? I you know I love that the waitresses come up and hand me little pieces of paper, sometimes the corner of an envelope. Would you pray for this? My neighbors will text me. Would you please be in prayer for this? And and trust me. I, I could do so much better. Do you ask the server before you give thanks for your meal? Hey, is there anything that we can pray for? We're going to give thanks and we'd love to pray for you. I always get a great response to that. There's always hurt going on in people's lives that God would continue, would, would would consider a pathway to peace and a, and a road to healing. Do you know what I'm saying? These are just opportunities for us to, to, to go to the Lord on their behalf. But do people know that you know him? Or are you hiding that under a bushel? Do they know? Does your neighborhood, does everyone in your neighbors know and that person is a Christian? No matter irrelevant of what they think about that or their misconceptions about the church. Do they know that you are convinced that you know him and that he's the answer to every need and that you're willing, that you're willing to petition the God of the universe, the mighty and able and willing God of the universe to the needs that are prevailing their lives? Do they know that? See, the good news thrives across ethical or unethical racial, prejudice, national, religious obstacles through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was willing to go, to to break the, the traditions of elders, to face the aftermath of that. You don't think Peter on that rooftop in Joppa was kind of like, surely not, God. I've never eaten anything, you know, that's unclean since I was a little boy, you know. No clue what he was Really, talking about as often, we're the same, right? Like, but you know, he went, and he knew that going into this Gentile's home was, was, I mean, you got to understand. I mean, it probably it probably was a wrestling match within his own conscience. But God said, "Go," and he said, "I will." And and I believe that this this encounter would have been a great motivator to Peter in that moment, a great a great reminder. Uh, in that situations. Are you willing to work through all of them as well, speaking of all of these differences, these barriers amongst different cultures? Because do you think that that, that God's desire is that every tongue, nation, and tribe will be represented and that he might use you to do it? Do you know others from different backgrounds? Have you been initiating that that discovery, that opportunity, that precious opportunity. Jesus was no respecter of such divisions. We should reach out to those whom Jesus came to rescue and lay down all of these these dividing walls of hostility that Jesus tore down at the cross. Verse four and five, one of my favorite verses in this piece. And when they came to Jesus... They pleaded. Now, who's the they here? This is the Jewish elders. They pleaded with him earnestly. Now, let's keep in mind that the the Pharisees in Nazareth, they they were at odds with Jesus. They they called him a blasphemer. Only God forgives sin, right? And they didn't see him for who he really was. These, These Jewish elders... Seem to have a totally disposition, whether it's their allegiance or their their, their admiration for the for the centurion and his, his his want or desire. I think it's it, they're they're pleading in in this relationship with Jesus, and it says earnestly, saying he is worthy to have you do this for him. Like, is anybody worthy of Jesus doing anything for them? I just want to you know, but it, doesn't it speak to their paradigm? to the way they thought. Like, he's, he's a good guy, so you should do this. God, because he's good, you you know. And the problem isn't that God doesn't love to reward good behavior and faith. It's that no one's good. <laughs> and they thought they were. And But the truth is, what really brought what they were pleading for to fruition was the faith of this Roman centurion. This is what Jesus marveled at, so it says, "And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he now is this not staggering? He loves our nation. This is a Roman centurion, obviously not in occupied yet Roman ter- I mean Roman territory, but not they weren't oppressed per se, and they, they, th- th- what they say of him is that he loves our nation. That just seems like a contrast to uh, Jewish years, right? But, but that's, the, that's the legacy of this man. He loved the people that probably didn't love him. What does that say about him? What does that say about his character? This, 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 this guy has obviously had some incredible in, influence in his life, And where does all this compassion, faith, like overcoming? He loves our nation. Now, listen to what else it says here. And he is the one who built us our synagogue. Now, that doesn't mean he grabbed a hammer and nails. What that means is he funded it. He, a Roman centurion, paid for a synagogue. And, you know, the thing that we have to understand is if you love a people, you know, you might be cordial and nice and loving, and and but to build them a synagogue, there's a spiritual dynamic to this. There, there, there's a heart of worship in this. This was a God-fearing man. This was a man that had an orientation to Yahweh. He was probably a participant, a Gentile participant here. So as as the music team comes for this portion do you plead please hear me do you plead with jesus earnestly on behalf of others and even as i say that are there people that come to mind that the spirit brings to mind that man i've i've got i've i've got to, i've got to beg jesus on behalf of this person's life their heart their salvation their circumstances. We're going to pause right here in the middle of the sermon because it's practical, because that's what it should be. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to practice this right here. And for a few moments, we're just, I'm going to ask you in the stillness and in the quietness of your seat, make that your altar, make that your place. And let's just petition, let's just plead with earnest hearts for those that are valuable or value to us and those that we know that are in desperate need of an encounter with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, in these moments, I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, bring to mind in our own hearts those that you have appointed to eternal life, that you have commissioned into our lives, not for our pleasure as much as for yours so that they might come to know the pleasure of your presence, so that they might come to know who you are. Father, you have assigned us in missional ways to many people. Let us not misunderstand this to be for our selfish interest or purpose, but for your kingdom and for your glory and for their salvation. So, Lord, in this moment, would you hear our hearts as we come and plead our For for those we love and care for, and we do this earnestly, in Jesus' name. I'd like to share. There's something that's very valuable about uh, this passage and what. Oh, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you for hearing our prayers and, and being the mighty one, the rescuer, the healer that you are. We, we believe that you are, there's nothing that is impossible with you. We believe you can do whatever you intend to do, will be realized that your word does not go out without finding its full expression and fruition. Lord, we know that you are mighty to save. So, Lord, would you find our confidence, our hope, our peace, our joy, our faith uh, resolved in you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the centurion loves the Jewish nation, built them a synagogue, and here he's asking these, these Jewish elders to go to Jesus on his servant's behalf because he so values him to ask for a healing that he believes he has the authority and power to do so this roman this roman could request a favor of the jews and have them respond so willingly well does that not seem like a little bit of a shock to our to our concept of the of the new testament culture first century culture did that his trust in Jesus is an excellent example for ours. We should strive to obey Jesus and take him at his word. I mean, look at verses six and seven. It says, and Jesus went with them. Like that's shocking in itself, right? But you know, he is going to, he, it's challenging to us in this way. Like don't let social protocols that aren't biblical dictate your motions and movement. Does that make sense? Just because there's, uh, it's not going to be popular with what you, you know that God's asking you to do. When you are confirmed in that, move in that with great conviction because there's healing on the other side, yours and theirs. So it says, and when Jesus went with them, and Jesus went with them, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord. Now, listen, a Roman doesn't use this word lightly, right? This is, this is, not, this is a statement of deity. This is a statement of, of uh, you would reserve for like the emperor, right? He's making that a distinct statement about Jesus. And let's keep in mind that this is some poor Jewish rabbi, but not to this centurion. He has made a different conclusion about who this Jesus is. And he is putting his faith and his confidence in that truth, in in that reality. He says, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Now, I think this has very little to do with uh, Jewish protocols. I think he would have been very familiar with those things, but I don't think that's the nature of what he's saying here. I think this is a depiction of the humility of this man a man that all of his social status and all of his position would, would, would lend to a, a prideful posture, and yet it is in his humility. He's saying, I'm not, even, I'm, not, I'm not worthy to come to you myself, much less for you to come in my home. But then my favorite part, this is what he says. For he says, therefore I do not presume to come to you. And then he says this, but say the word and let my servant be healed say the word have you said that to jesus lately have you have you have you remembered that it was and the lord said it and it was i mean like six times in genesis chapter 1 right like by his word all things have come into fruition like when god speaks like things happen out of nothing like 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 goodness and healing and redemption, salvation is, is the byproduct of his, of his word. Because Jesus was the word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It says by Jesus' word, all things came to fruition through him. And by his word, he sustains everything that's going on. Like he is the sustainer of all things by his powerful word. Do you know at the end of the day, I was thinking about this the other day, in Revelation, um, what, what we're told is, is that Jesus will speak a word and the battle is over, done, finished. Like he, he literally is going to end that, the, the, the day, the war against evil, he, by, by a word. There's a sword that, that comes from us. That's the imagery. Like this is our God. Can I, can I pause for just a moment here and say that I think sometimes what's going on in this thing and why Jesus says that he marvels at the centurion's faith and he says, and he, and he does that in contrast to the nation of Israel is who had the advantage here of knowing God? Who had the, the law and the problem? I mean, Paul talks about this. All the advantages, right? Synagogue, teaching, culture, all of it. and this And this Roman ascribes this power and authority to Jesus perfectly and accurately and he's basically saying with all your advantages, you don't get it. You don't don't see me this way. I marvel at this faith. I haven't seen this. And is it that Israel had no faith? No, that's not what he's saying. He is saying, and, and, and here's the question for us. There's two questions here. Hopefully I remember the second one. Is that, one is that are we, have we been in the faith so long and had so much input and so much, you know, familiar, familiarity breeds contempt. Like, do, do we had so much input that we've gotten casual with Jesus about, about the wonder of who he is. Have we stopped being in awe When we think about the cross and we think about the sustaining and and the creating and the, the awesome work of God and the person of Jesus Christ. Because listen guys, we will never see the humility of Christ when we don't realize to what degree he condescended to make himself nothing and take the very form of a servant. We will never understand that humility found its greatest expression in Jesus Christ. If we don't know what from what it says he did not consider equality with God something to be held on to but he made himself nothing. Paul was trying to point out this is this is the pinnacle this is the ideal of what humility is and this is what we're called to in order to maintain unity in the body of Christ because what wars against unity in marriage and in the body of Christ is pride is self-centeredness is believing I'm better than you and I'm more important than you and Jesus shatters that whole concept. And if we don't see him for who he is, we don't realize to what depths our sin deserved death. And we don't understand the, the magnitude to which he should be worshipped. And I'm not talking about a song or a service. I'm talking about our lives. Right? Like this is, this is what, what 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 Jesus is talking about here. This guy who hasn't had all these advantages, sees me for who I am. What great faith. And trust me that the reason, it wasn't because of his alms to the poor in Cornelius' uh, circumstance or building a synagogue that his servant was healed. It was because of his marvelous faith. Guys, how many do, does, does the Lord want to perish? The lake of fire was not prepared for people. How many does God want to perish? None, none, right? But the reality is, and Jesus declares it, that many are, the, are going to walk the wide path and few the narrow, right? So like the truth is that that's, that's going to be a sad scenario, right? But that's not God's heart. So answer this question for me. Why are more than less going to end up in the lake of fire following the devil right into his, his destined destruction? Why? Lack of They reject the love of God in Christ Jesus. They reject the grace and mercy of God. And for those that are being saved, it's the power of God. It's the gospel, right? For those that are perishing, it's foolishness. We get that. But you know, how does someone, how did you, as Marty described, how did you move from foolishness to power? Truth. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of Christ. But how is that going to happen out there? Is when the truth gets lived out in me. Is when the Bible comes to life in the way that I love and live. When that, when I'm persecuted, when I'm hated, when I'm abused, when I, when I, all of that is when I love, not in my power, but his. When I choose to trust that his word works and I obey him and I, I crucify my flesh. I deny myself. I say no to me so I can say yes to him. That's when God's word gets lived out. And guys, it's not about you having confidence in in your ability to do that. It's about you having an unwavering confidence in him to get it done. And you being willing to be the instrument to see it realized. And he will. Do you know that the catalyst to everything that God wants to do in your life is faith? How would you get saved? That's our our meager part. That's, That's our... I mean, look at God. Is he worthy of our faith? <laughs> like, that's our part, right? God's done it all. Like, he just wants us to trust him. He just wants us to believe that when he says he'll do this, that he'll do it. And, and you know what I love is that this Roman centurion had heard about Jesus. Thank God for those witnesses. Do you see what I'm saying? Thank God. Cause here's the deal. Whatever he heard brought about this response. He had not seen him. He had not witnessed anything he had heard. Oh, that the church would cause the, the unbelieving world to hear about Jesus and respond with, you can, whatever, if you say it and let it be done, it'll be done. You know what I'm saying? Like, if my people will call by my name, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I I will heal. Right? I will I will come down from heaven and I'll heal their land. And you know what the land is now? What's the soil in the New Testament? Our hearts. Where's the kingdom in the New Testament? side. There's the land that God wants to heal. He's not looking to heal America. He's looking to heal the American so that they can be a witness to the world. Sometimes we care more about our creature comforts and our securities than we care about his kingdom and that poor soul that is lost and walking a wide road that leads to destruction. And that's a tragedy. But say the word. Don't you love the statement here? He spoke to the word himself and said, If you say it, it's done. Let it. Let it. I love how he says, Let. He says, And let my servant be healed. Like, you, you're, you're the one. <laughs> you're the one that can do this. Guys, where's your faith? Where's your, what, what can't God do but deny himself? Look, there are things that we don't understand. Why? I mean, can we assume that if we have the faith of the centurion, that 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 he will do the same thing for us? The only reason that the world is not saved and walking the narrow path is because they reject the love and grace of Christ. They don't believe. And in what areas of your life are you not experiencing salvation, liberation? I've come to set the captives for freedom that Christ is. Like, in what areas of your life are you not experiencing freedom, the full implications of the cross of Christ, because you doubt? Do we all doubt? Is doubt a sin? I'll say this. I'll say that when you look at the father that said, you know, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know what Jesus did? He healed his son. He helped his unbelief. I mean, I think that's a good prayer because of Jesus's response, right? That's a good prayer. Say that. Father, I believe, but help my unbelief. Do you know the only thing that the disciples asked Jesus to do was to increase anyway, was their faith. Do you, do, you, do you think that's because they saw the implications of faith? Do you realize that everything that comes into our life comes to us by faith? And the things that don't are limited. Jesus said, I can do nothing here because of their lack of faith. Look, God, God, God is mighty. Don't please don't understand that his his uh, uh, omniscience or his omni uh, uh, um, um, omnipotence is 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 limited because of this no this is how god determined things to be brought into fruition in our lives that we trust him what does hebrews 11:6 say i'm going to jump there mary and without faith it is impossible to please him you know it it says back in hebrews 11 or later on in this chapter, it says, by faith, in fact, it might be right before, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. Why was God not pleased with Cain? Cain, the person of Cain, because of his lack of faith. His sacrifice depicted his faith. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. Guys, what you, your life is a living sacrifice to something. And what we, what we sacrifice for is a clear depiction of what we value. He valued his servant. Man, God, God values people. God values faith, right? It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that, I love this, that he rewards those who, the NIV says, earnestly seek him. Earnestly seek him. I love that. Earnestly seek him. Um, Back to Psalms 107.20. This, this, is a, this is a beautiful verse. The centurion understood that Jesus needed only to say a word, and his servant would be healed. Listen to what this says in Psalms 107.20. It says, He sent out, God sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. You know, like the ultimate fruition of that is the word became flesh, the incarnation of Christ, right? He sent out his word and he healed them by his stripes. We are healed. That's so beautiful. So my question is, how much faith do you have in God's word? Yes. Like, how much faith do you have in the Lord's word? Like, and, and, and are we like Job that says, look, I don't, I'm not really tied to the results here, God. I'm tied to you and your character, and your attributes, and your faithfulness. I'm tied to that because I believe whether I get what I want or not, that you're good. But that is not to diminish the fact that God wants us to believe that he can do what he's promised to do in his word. Are you standing on the word of God? How much faith do you have in God's word? God's word. See, when you read God's commands or sense his leading in prayer, do you respond as automatically as the soldier under someone else's authority? Like is that your disposition understanding that that you you've been bought with a price that, that we're not caught up in civilian affairs that that we are that that we are fellow workmen soldiers fighting the good fight of faith? Do do you carry out the Lord's instructions as faithfully and unquestionably Question, questioningly as the centurion did. Do you regard yourself as a person under God's authority? Jesus did. Isn't that it? I mean, that's where he was being an example to us again. He did. He said, I do nothing without my father. Unless he says go, I don't go. When, where, all of it. Verse 8 says, For I too am a man, this is the centurion saying this, for I'm a man under authority. How he could possibly understand that Jesus, like the father was still the authority of Christ, but he had given him all authority on earth. Like I am too a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one go and he goes, another one come to the other come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does it. See, when Jesus spoke, this is the first thing that popped in my mind as I was like meditating on that. When Jesus spoke, demons obeyed, diseases departed, and storms stopped. Like, the disciples' response to that moment was, what matter of man is this, that the winds and the waves obey him? Is that your Jesus? I think sometimes do we underestimate him? Do we under-worship him? Do we underbelieve him and trust him? Like I hope that's your challenge today. That he wants to do greater things than you can ask or imagine. Like that's that's awesome. This is the God we serve. In this statement, the, the centurion announced faith by declaring Jesus' authority. Like, does the world see you declaring that type of, of confidence and, and allegiance to, to God's word? And I'm not talking about name it, claim it, junk. I'm not talking about, I want this, and God gives me the desires of my heart when when I'm not delighting in the Lord. You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when God has promised something, and he has spoken that to you. It's why why Peter and John looked at a guy. I mean, there's one point in Paul's journey that he says he saw that he had faith to believe. And so, healing. Healing. Right, I mean, he looks at the guy like Solomon's colonnade, John and Peter, and they'd passed by this guy countless times, but today was different. Verse nine. When Jesus heard these things, he marvelled at him. It doesn't say; it says he marvelled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he turns to the to to it probably a totally Jewish crowd. And he says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith or found such faith. I want to read this to you. This Roman centurion grasped the big picture about Jesus' authority. The Jews who had been looking for Jesus couldn't see him for who he was, yet this Gentile did. That's why Jesus was amazed and exclaimed to the crowd that he had not seen faith like this in all the land of Israel. This this did not mean that no one in Israel had faith but but many did not accept the good news the reality of Christ's power and presence without the benefit of growing up memorizing the old testament scriptures and learning from the esteemed jewish leaders the gentile the gentile man understood and needed the need to totally depend on Jesus's power he knew without a doubt that Jesus could do what seemed impossible such faith both brought astonished astonishment to Christ and it pleased him verse 10 and when those who had been sent returned to the house they found the servant well i love i love what matthew 813 says about this though this is the the account in matthew uh, 8 and the centurion the centurion uh excuse me and to the centurion jesus said go let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. At that very moment. So what is the application here? Well, I think we've touched on quite a few and hopefully your, your, your earnest pleads for the benefit of those you love and others is, is, is a discipline in your life going forward. But here's one. I was talking through this with mom and Sheba last night at dinner and, and, and this was Sheba's thought. We need to recognize Jesus for who he is and we won't or we won't experience his power. We need to recognize Jesus for who he is, not who we want him to be or who we think him to be, but who he declares himself to be and what the Holy Spirit is teaching us about who he is. We need to recognize Jesus for who he is or we won't experience his power, And if you remember, we just left the Sermon on the Plain in the latter part of last, the last chapter, um, and this is what Jesus said in, in, in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? It's a lie. Our life depicts the Lordship of Christ. Yes, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. But it's it's our life that truly depicts what we truly believe. Because Jesus says here, don't call me Lord and don't do what I tell you because it's not true of your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, Lord Jesus, your amazing incarnate example. You came and humbled yourself on our behalf, was an incredible example of everything that you asked us to do. And then you sent your spirit to empower us to see it done. And that you told us we would do greater things than you. So Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Increase our faith. Increase our faith so that we, would, that we would be marked as not just that our name wouldn't be Faith Fellowship, but that would be our identity. And we love you and so thankful for you. Help us to live this out, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.